Welcome to a Pulp Event Podcast, brought to you by the PulpNet, your link to the online world of the Pulp Magazines for over 25 years. Learn more about the Pulp Magazines through articles, blogs, bibliographies, links, over 100 episodes of this podcast, and much more, at thepulp.net. In this Pulp Event Podcast, old-time radio expert Carl Shatta looks at radio adaptations of stories that appeared in Weird Tales. 2023 marked the 100th anniversary of the fantasy and horror fiction magazine, Weird Tales. This podcast was recorded on August 3rd at PulpFest 2023 in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Great, well, I want to thank everybody for staying t- at 1030 for the last uh, segment here. Being the, being the last of the shows, I can either run this for an hour, hour and a half, but I'm going to make this... Real short for everybody so we can get to bed. Uh, This is just basically going to be a survey of various stories from weird tales that ended up on the radio. And so I've got one of the uh, covers there of weird tales, and I I do this arrow to get to the radio. So we'll we'll, we'll see how some of these went. I want to put things in a little bit of a perspective here. Uh, Weird Tales is one of the several, maybe one of 100 pulp magazines that made it to the uh, were adapted to radio. Uh, and I've separated these in a, in a couple different um, categories. Uh, the anthology, on the left, the anthology, Scotland Yard, which I published on uh, this this year in Butt and Thunder, uh, that Dell publication, they had a radio series for Scotland Yard in 1930 and 31. Of course, Love Story Magazine, one of the Street and Smith publications from 1931-1932, and Adventure had a series in 1931 called Moments of Adventure, and these were basically anthologies where they just pulled various stories out of the pulp magazine and made it into a various series. And this is, this compares to the single characters, like the Street and Smith, uh, The Adventure, this is the 1941 series, uh, Benson, that was on WHN, uh, Pete Rice, the Western Juvenile series, which was also on WOR, which was on WOR in the mid-30s, and then something that um, Kristen mentioned, but though I did see uh, a quick slide there that had the Tasty Lax, the Spider was on radio uh, very briefly, and there was a couple of uh, other auditions of the, of the Spider character. And I also wanted to mention uh, Cornell Woolrich, one of the most prolific uh, pulp writers that we know of. He uh, did several stories in uh, Detective Tales, Black Mask, Detective Fiction Weekly, all kinds of mysteries, uh, pulps, and he's probably one of the biggest authors whose stories ended up on radio in various uh, anthologies. And then we come to Weird Tales, and it's very interesting that we have uh, a couple of, of um, dedicated series, what I've called dedicated series versus anthologies. And Will Oliver had published some of this material uh, Oh wow! This is, yeah. This, uh, I apologize for the slides when I had sent them. I guess they didn't. Uh, but but that's okay. On the left, the dedicated series. Uh, there's three series: uh, 1930, 1933, and 1945 that were basically uh, called right from from Weird uh, Tales, uh, pulp stories. Uh, Weird Tales also ended up on a different several anthologies. Uh, from World's Greatest Stories, to the Kate Smith's Hour, the Mole Mystery, to Suspense, to the Man with Book and Pipe, University of Scranton Radio Workshop, Radio City Playhouse, Murder by Experts, and The Mysterious Traveler. For Weird Tales, 
the first series actually started in 1930, and this predates uh, Alonzo Dean Cole uh, for The Witch's Tale, which started in New York in, in May of 1931. Um, as I was going to mention just uh, in the previous slide, Will Oliver had published uh, some of this material in Blood and Thunder a couple of years ago. Um, at that time, he didn't know all of the ins and outs of this 1930 series. It was a local series, WTAM in Cleveland, which was the NBC affiliate at that time. Edward Smith, uh, who was the director of the series on the station, was a pioneer in radio drama during the 1920s on WGY. Uh, I have to plug the hometown Schenectady, New York station, WGY, who was a pioneer in radio drama in the early 20s, starting in 1922. In 1929, Smith moved to WTAM, where he continued his work in radio drama. And how he came up with this Weird Tales series, I have, I have no idea. Uh, most of this comes from newspapers, and you'll see that uh, it only ran for five, for five episodes. Uh, Wednesday nights at midnight, which actually moved into Thursday morning, in October of 1930. Uh, and you can see that they, they pulled various uh, stories, The House of the Skull, The Druid Shadow. We don't know, October 15th. Uh, and then there's the Edmund, Edmund Hamilton uh, for October 22nd, and then the Ralph Milne Farley series, which they called from two issues for that Friday, the last series, October 31st, on another Dracula. Then in 1933, a syndicated series was proposed uh, by Hollywood Radio Attractions, who worked with a distributor, McGregor and Sally. Uh, Edgar Fogel was the director with Oliver Drake, the scriptwriter. And Will Oliver and his Blood and Thunder story had, had uh, included some information. Uh, Ed Holtz had interviewed Oliver Drake back in the 70s and gotten some information about this series. And uh, I'm not going to go into, into all this right now, but uh, they included the cast, William Farnham, who was uh, one of the silent film stars, Jason Robarts Sr., father of Jason Robarts, uh, Richard Carl, Florence Britton, Lucille Amea, and others. Uh, it got cut off at the bottom, but maybe you can see that. Um, unfortunately, this series, only three, three episodes were recorded. Uh, and we have an episode of number two, the, ha the second episode, uh, The Curse of Nagana, which was based on the Hubie Cave story, The Ghoul Gallery. And that was from June of 1932. Again, I apologize, the slides just uh, didn't work out on this. Um, and at the bottom which has been cut off, there's uh, The Curse of Nagana. That audio is actually available online. Uh, Randy Riddles, if you Google Randy Riddle, esoteric, uh, old-time radio, you'll be able to come up with his, his website. And he has that on there. That's on a Columbia disc. And that's from 1933. And, that, and we're fortunate to have at least that uh, half episode uh, available for, for study. Um, unfortunately, the series, they ran out of money. Uh, Fogel and, and uh, Hollywood Radio Attractions ran out of money, and, they, and unfortunately, that series uh, did not uh, progress past uh, those three episodes. Now we come to the series that many of you may have, have known about, Stay Tuned for Terror. I've been working on this for many, many years, and I published much of the history of this program uh, in Blood and Thunder a couple of years ago and also uh, online in the old Radio Times. Uh, for several years, Robert Block, and that's a picture of Robert Block on the right, he and his friends from the Milwaukee Fictioners used to dress up, he and Harold Gower, and so for publicity for this, he dressed up as a ghoul. And uh, it's a pretty, pretty funny picture of Robert Block. Uh, he wrote 
He was a scriptwriter. He got together with uh, James Doolittle, his friend from Milwaukee, and they uh, worked with Burl Adams and Johnny Neblett uh, to produce this series in Chicago. It was 39 episodes, 15 minutes each. Uh, this was during the first few months of 1945. Block would commute down to Chicago, the studios at WBBM in Chicago, and they would record this as a syndicated series. Howard Keegan was the director. He directed Lights Out, some of the Lights Out uh, episodes from the 1930s. Uh, in the cast included James Doolittle, uh, the stage named Craig Dennis, James' brother Don, and the actresses Angeline Orr and Amira Rustler. 39 episodes were produced during 1945. Of these, 24 were from Block's Weird Tales stories, either published previously or, or after the series was, was recorded. Seven others uh, from Fantastic Adventures, Strange Stories, and some others. But what is most interesting about this series is that there are eight original radio dramas that have not been reproduced any place. They have not appeared in any other media, uh, either printed or in films or anything, and, and uh, we're, we're hot after these uh, um, original dramas. Unfortunately, Block did not keep any of the recordings or any of the scripts. The series was broadcast in the U.S., Canada, and TH is the territory of Hawaii, and down there at the bottom of the screen, the local sponsors included uh, in Chicago and WMAQ was a chemical company, and uh, in Hawaii was a, was a service station. There was, a, there was various sponsors all over the country. This is, this is just a, a partial list of the, 20, uh, the 24 Weird Tales series that Block wrote, uh, and various Egyptology, mythology, uh, vampires, um, all kinds of interesting stories. Um, as you can see, some of these were published in the 30s before the series was recorded, and then others were record, block held on to these and published these in Weird Tales anywhere from 1946 to 1949 or, or later. Uh, there's two episodes available. I've, I've indicated they're on archive.org, and if you just uh, include Block's name and stay tuned, you'll be able to pick those up. And I think if we, Will and I have worked this together, we're going to find... There we go. So we're going to listen to an episode. Ladies and gentlemen, stay tuned for terror. Stay tuned for shivers and excitement. Listen to Craig Dennis in The Boogeyman Will Get You. Written by Robert Block for Weird Tales magazine and adapted by the author especially for this program. You'll hear it now if you... Stay tuned for terror.
And now, here is Craig Dennis in The Boogeyman Will Get You. You're afraid of the dark, aren't you? Oh, but you are. I know all about you. Do you understand? You were afraid of the dark when you were a child. Not because of robbers or thieves or murderers. Children don't think of such things. You were afraid of the dark because of the boogeyman. That's the name your parents used, boogeyman. One of those smart, sophisticated, grown-up words. But there is terror behind it. When you were a child, you knew what the boogeyman looked like. You would see him in your dreams. That black, grinning shape with the wicked red eyes and the clutching claws. You heard his buzzing voice mumbling to you in sleep when you had nightmares. And you'd wake up screaming for your mother. Admit it. You did scream, didn't you? Now that you're grown up, you laugh about it. But deep down inside, you're still afraid. You say you don't believe such things? It's all superstition. (laughs) Then why are you still afraid of the dark? Why do you keep the lights on when you're home alone at night? I'll tell you why. Because you know it's true. There are such things as monsters. There are such evil beings. And the boogeyman will get you if you don't watch out. Well, what do you think of it? Marvelous. I don't know how you do it, Walter. Great stuff. You say it's part of a new essay? That's right. Looks like I'll have it finished this week. But, Walter, you work too hard. Cooped up all day long in that cottage of yours. Why don't you relax? That's just why I rented the cottage, to stay cooped up and get some work done. A book doesn't write itself, you know. I don't see how you fellas do it. Writing, I mean. Me, I'll stick to the insurance business. Life insurance must be a wonderful thing. You mean to tell me you're not insured, man? Oh, wait a minute now, darling. Walter, you'll have to excuse that husband of mine. He's always trying to sell something. Lewis, let the poor man alone. We invite him over here tonight for a visit, remember? I appreciate it, too. You folks are very kind to ask me in but I'm apt to bore you with my essays. Bore me? Oh, nonsense. You nearly scared me stiff. Is that why Nancy isn't around? Do I scare her, too? Oh, of course not. The child's probably out with her gang. You know, the Bobby Sox crowd. Nancy is a very remarkable young woman. She didn't strike me as a typical member of the younger generation at all. Well, she isn't, really. Nancy is very mature for 17. Too mature, I'm afraid. Sometimes she comes out with something that surprises me. Really? Yes. Now, take what she was saying about you the other day. Oh, I guess I put my foot in at that time. Nancy said something about me. What was it? Oh, uh, nothing. Nothing at all. Matter of fact, I've I've forgotten just exactly what it was. Please, tell me. I won't be offended. I'm curious. I've noticed that daughter of yours watching me, and I've wondered about it. Well, you'll have to excuse her, Walter. She's just a kid, after all. She said... Well, we were talking about why we never saw you in the daytime, out on the tennis court or at the beach. And she said, that's not so strange. Vampires always sleep in the daytime. 
Vampires? Don't adolescents get the funniest notions sometimes? Yes. Yes, they do. She's awfully interested in you, really, Walter. After all, you're handsome, stranger here at the resort, an older man. I do believe she's getting a crush on you, but tries to hide it by crazy remarks. Calling you a vampire. Where does she get such ideas? Reads too many books, I'd say. Yes. Sly kid, though. I asked her why she thought you were a vampire. Know what she said? What did she say? Said it was because you didn't eat any food. She said what? Nancy said she'd asked around town at the grocery store and the butcher shop and that you never bought any food. I shut her up in a hurry, though. Young lady, I said, apparently you don't know much about bachelor's eating habits. Did you ever hear of places called restaurants? You should have seen the look on Nancy's face when I... Why, hello, Nancy. We we were just talking about you. So I heard. Well, your manners, dear. Aren't you going to say hello to Mr. King? Good evening, Nancy. Nancy, Mr. King spoke to you. Nancy, what are you doing, child? <laughs> She's making the sign of the cross, an ancient custom. It's supposed to ward off vampires. That's a good one. Well, young lady, how come you were running around in the dark tonight? Aren't you afraid of evil spirits? Don't joke about things you don't understand, Father. Nancy, that's no way to talk to your father. Where were you? Oh, just walking. It was Billy Leggett. Up in the hills under the hemlock trees. I suppose that's where you lost your scarf, young lady. My, my... Oh. Oh, yes. I... I didn't know I'd lost it. Well, folks, I've got to be running along. It's getting late. So soon? Yes, it's, it's getting a little late. All right, Walter. See you around. You sure you don't mind walking home alone? Oh, of course not. Maybe we could send Nancy along with you to protect you from vampires. Nancy was a silly little girl. I knew it. But still, she upset me. Maybe it was because she was so beautiful and she hated me so. Thought I was a vampire. Just a silly little girl with a queer idea in her pretty head. I wondered what she was trying to do. At night, when I got back to the cottage, I found out. I stood in front of the door and saw something lying on the path. It was Nancy Scott. What had she been doing here? She said she had gone for a walk to the hills near the hemlock trees, but here was her scarf. And as I opened the door, my hand touched something. A wreath on the doorknob. A wreath of hemlock. Hemlock. That's what you put on the door to keep vampires away. I thought about it all night. What was that girl up to? The next day, I investigated a little. I found out plenty. Nancy had spread talk all over the village. Talk about me, about my habits, how I stayed in all day and came out at night, about my not eating at home. She'd even tried to call New York to check up on me, whether I really had a job and so on. She told the minister I didn't dare come to church and said I had no mirrors in my house because a vampire couldn't look into mirrors. This wasn't funny anymore. The foolish kid was making trouble for me. Somehow she had this mad obsession about vampires. I had to talk to her. So that night I started over for her place, but before I arrived, I ran into her by accident on the path. Oh. Oh, you startled me. Sorry, Nancy. I didn't mean to frighten you. But say, I've been looking for you. Let's take a walk, shall we? Well, um, really, Mr. King, I have a date. Only for a few minutes, my dear, and why so formal? Call me Walter. By the way, I seem to have a speck in my eye. Have you a mirror in your purse? 
A mirror? Why, yes. Uh, uh, here it is. Oh, good. Let's see. Oh. There, I've got it. Oh, thank you. You looked into the mirror. Of course. And I found that hemlock on my doorknob last night, too. Oh, don't look so startled, Nancy. I know all about your ideas. You thought I was a vampire, didn't you? Just because I work all day and eat in restaurants and walk at night. But you're wrong. You know that now, don't you? I look in mirrors and touch hemlock and all the rest. Yes, I... I see. I... I guess you think I'm an awful fool, Walter. Not at all. I think you're a very lovely girl. I wish it wasn't so dark out here so I could see your hair. You have beautiful hair, Nancy. Look, the moon is rising. I can see you now. Nancy, you aren't afraid of me anymore. No. Walter, I... I never was afraid. Not really. I, I just thought up all this vampire stuff to, to make you notice me. And besides, all vampires are tall and dark and, and handsome, like you. You're a very clever little girl, Nancy. Very clever. Only I... I wish you hadn't gone to the police today. Police? Then you know? Yes. I found that out, too. A search warrant for my house. Oh, but but that was all a joke. And, and you aren't really a vampire, so it doesn't matter. When they come, we'll laugh at them. I'll laugh at them. You won't. Walter, what are you doing? Let go of me. Walter, what's happening to you? You're changing. Walter! Too bad you were such a meddling little fool, Nancy. I can't let you get away now. It would spoil everything. You guessed too much. Oh, Walter, let me go. Walter! Oh, good heaven! Then it is true. You are a vampire. No, my dear. I'm not a vampire. I'm just a werewolf. You have just heard Craig Dennis in The Boogeyman Will Get You. Written by Robert Block, author of stories in Weird Tales magazine. The original music was conceived and played by Romel Fay. In just a moment, we'll tell you about the next story in... Stay tuned for terror. In the meantime... All right, were you all surprised that you turned into a werewolf? I'll get to you later. Probably the most famous of the Weird Tales articles, uh, uh, Weird Tales stories that Black wrote that ended up in the State Who for Terror was Yours Truly, Jack the River, from July of 1943, Weird Tales. Uh, and this is, the, this is a list of programs that it was adapted for uh, from 1944 to 1950. It was first on the Case Smith Hour. Uh, I'm not sure if Black knew about this. It was adapted by Ken Crossan, and it was a 15-minute uh, segment in, in Kate's show, which was an hour long, and it was a variety show, and, and occasionally she would have various uh, dramas, and so somehow they put the uh, 
Black's Tale, Yours Truly, Jack the Ripper, and that was really the premiere uh, of the series on radio. Some of the history in the past has been written that, you know, when, when this was on, that Black immediately got asked to do Stay Tuned for Terror. Well, that, that's really not the case. Um, Black had been interested in, in Stay Tuned for Terror for quite some time, um, and, I'm, and again, I'm really not sure how it ended up on the Kate Smith Hour. Um, the next one is the Mole Mystery Theater. Uh, that was on NBC from 43 to 1948. It was a half-hour show. They did many, many different adaptations of, of pulp magazines. Um, for yours truly, Jack the Ripper, Constance Smith adapted that, and, and Black was not very happy uh, with the ending, um, which I'm not going to give away for those of you who have, who have not either read the story or listened to the episode. We do have that as an Armed Forces uh, radio service version, and it's interesting. They had various... Uh, personalities to do the introductions and you can easily find that online Peter Lorre does the introduction to that so if you if you go to um, you just google Mulling Mystery Theater yours to reject the ripper you should be able to find that on, on various websites and then again I mentioned for Stay Tuned for Terror that's 15 minutes that's Black's uh, own adaptation uh, we're looking for that one um, currently there are two episodes available uh, from the Stay Tuned for Terror series the one we just heard the Boogeyman Will Get You, and the other one is Lizzie Borden Took an Axe. I'm also working on getting two more uh, out in the circulation, which have just been discovered. Uh, in 1948, the Mole Mystery Theater did a, an encore version of uh, Black's story. It was basically the same script um, by Constance Smith with a different cast. Uh, I find of, the, of this list, I find the most interesting is that one from April 10th to 1949. It was the college... University of Scranton Radio Workshop. Uh, and during, during the spring semester 1949, on Sunday afternoons on WSCR, the radio workshop was given a half an hour at 4.30 to do all kinds of different dramas and comedies. And how they ended up picking Block's story, I have no idea. I've contacted the university, and I'm still working uh, with their archives to, to find out if they've got a script or any kind of uh, correspondence or any kind of recording. The last one that I can find so far of Yours to Reject the River was on Murder by Experts. Uh, this series, again, half an hour on Mutual from 49 to 51, and it was basically the best of the best of the mystery series. Uh, it was coordinated by Robert Arthur and David Cogan of The Mysterious Traveler, and they picked stories uh, from Mole Mystery, from Suspense, from their own series, The Mysterious Traveler, and basically had them repeated on Murder by Experts. Of course, they didn't tell the audience that, but many of us... Who, uh, who are doing research now will find out this very uh, that th this is this is a case um, you know for murder by experts. I'm going to move now to the anthology the um, the anthology programs where Weird Tale series was was um, the stories were presented on on various series. Uh, the first one is the Dunwich Horror. By Lovecraft, of course, and it was on suspense November 1st, 1945. It was originally published in April 1929 issue. William Spear, this is when William Spear was producer, director, and editor of Suspense during the mid to late 1940s, the Roma Wine Company of Fresno, California was the sponsor. Sylvia Richards was the script writer. She adapted the story, uh, and Byrne Surrey did the sound effects, and in the cast, Ronald Coleman was Dr. Armistice, he was assisted by Bill Johnstone, Wally Mayer, Joseph Kearns, who was also the signature voice of suspense, and Elliot Lewis, 
play to Wilbur and the monster that they were all after. Uh, the, we have audio of this, it's, it's the Armed Forces uh, version, and, and it, it, it's an okay um, adaptation. Um, the, the audio quality is pretty, is, is pretty good for that. Again, if you go to online uh, and just Google Suspense, Dunwich Horror Audio, you should be able to find that on various websites. Another one on suspense was The Ghost Hunt. Herbert Russell Wakefield's story from March of 1948. It was adapted by Walter Brown Newman, and it was on suspense June 23, 1949. Uh, so it's interesting that it was only, had only been out about a year or so uh, when suspense and dispense. Um, Producer-director Anton M. Leader, working with Newman, um, Walter Brown Newman, selected this story and, and adapted it. Uh, again, Burns Surrey did the sound effects, and Ralph Edwards from Truth or Consequences starred as the DJ who goes into the house and tape records what the event's going on. And again, I'm, and I'm not going to uh, go into the plot or anything like that, but, he was, but Ralph Edwards has done a fantastic job on this. And we have the audio of this also available. Uh, Ralph was assisted by Herb Butterfield, Franklin Parker, and Roland Winters and others in this. And this is a fairly, fairly interesting story um, and a pretty good adaptation. Then we have Ray Bradbury. The Crowd from Weird Tales, May 1943, on suspense, uh, September 21st, 1950. Elliot Lewis at that time had taken over from Leader, and he was the producer-director. Uh, he got Morton Fine and David Friedkin to adapt the script. Uh, you know, suspense was was uh, had guest stars, you know, Hollywood guest stars. So Dana Andrews was selected uh, to star, and he was actually the lieutenant, which is a new character that they introduced into the story. This adaptation is is so-so. Um, again, we have, we have the audio for this uh, online, um, and it's it's unfortunately it's not one of the, one of the better adaptations on suspense. Uh, Andrews is assisted by Howard McNair, Jack Crucian, Irene Tedrow, Trudeau Marson, and, and others. And I have to give a shout out to uh, Dr. Joe Webb, who's a big suspense uh, researcher. He's got a blog, a blog pro project that he does, suspenseproject.blogspot.com, and, and he goes into many of these episodes on a daily basis um, uh, promote, promoting suspense. There's another familiar uh, face there that we probably know Bradbury more than the one that I just showed you from 1950s, The Wind. This was on Radio City Playhouse. This was an NBC series, another anthology series that, did, that adapted various stories from various sources, and they happened to pick uh, The Wind, which Bradbury had published in Weird Tales uh, from the March 1943 issue. Uh, producer, director, and host was Harry W. Jenkin at NBC. He also adapted the story, and the cast included Lyle Sidro, Brainer Rayburn, and James Monks. Again, this, this adaptation varies uh, significantly from the original uh, story that Bradbury had published in Weird Tales is that the emphasis is more on the couple rather than on the on the um, on the John Colt. Those of you, you who, are, who have read the story, John Colt is the protagonist in here, and he's subject to the wind. Uh, I find this a, this was a, a fascinating story, and I think uh, again, suspense could have done a little bit better job in in, in adapting it, uh, emphasizing more of Colt's uh, story. Uh, his name is actually changed to Alan, Alan Henderson, for, for whatever reason. Then we come to The Mysterious Traveler, The Haunted Trailer. Written Robert Arthur, uh, Weird Tales, January 42, and they changed the title. He changed the title from Death Thumbs a Ride. And this was on The Mysterious Traveler, June 3rd, 1952. The Mysterious Traveler was a, 
was originally directed by Jack McGregor with Arthur and David Cogan writing the stories. Uh, after a couple of years, uh, McGregor bowed out and it became basically Arthur and Cogan. And the series ran for about nine years on Mutual. Uh, David Cogan happened to be the producer director of this episode and the cast included Maurice Tarplin as the mysterious traveler, Larry Haynes as the ghost, James Stevens as the person who has the trailer who gets haunted, Blue Secret as another ghost, and Shirley Blank as the girlfriend. Uh, there is also there is audio available of this on many websites. Now from the anthology, as I'm going to go to the dramatic readings, there were many one-person storytellers on radio, and one of the best was Nelson Amstead. Now you probably have seen him. Uh, he was one of the great radio, uh, great actually television and film character actors uh, from the 1950s all the way up through into the 90s. Uh, he passed away in, 19, in the 90, early 1990s. But starting in the late 1930s and going through actually into the 1950s, he had several different versions of basically a one-man uh, storyteller uh, series from the world's greatest stories to story dramas, story for tonight, Nelson Amstead Playhouse, Nelson Amstead and Company uh, when he was in Chicago and, and actually did a half-hour adaptation with, with a full cast. And then Sleep No More, which was on radio in the 1950s, and also many of you are probably familiar with the series that was put out on LPs. There are literally hundreds, if not thousands, of stories that Olmsted uh, did on the radio. The series uh, could be once a week all the way up to five times a week, and this went on for years and years and years. And I've come up with a few of these. It was thought that the Lovecraft uh, episode of, of The Dunwich Horror on Suspense was actually the first adaptation or reading of Lovecraft on radio, but it turns out now that, he, that it wasn't. Um, it was the music of Eric Zahn, and, I'm, and I've kind of stretched things a little bit here. As, as, uh, that story originally appeared, was originally published in the National Amateur in March of 22, but it was later reprinted in uh, Weird Tales in twice, May 1925 and November of 34. And Almstead aired it on his program. He read it on this program, May 29, 1943. And these readings were basically, the, and I, you know, I followed the readings along with the pulp stories, and they're actually pretty, pretty good. Uh, he follows the the, uh, the story right along. You know, it does inflections of different people, and and they sometimes add a organ and and uh, a few sound effects, but it's pretty good. Uh, Almstead was also a fan of Mindret Lord. He did First Night, uh, that was Weird Tales from July 41. He did, actually did that at least twice, uh, aired in 1943 and also 1947. And he also did Lil, and he aired that on November 26, 1946. Paul Ernst, who we, who we know from Dr. Satan in Weird, Weird Tales. Uh, Olmsted read his story Escape, which was published in Weird Tales in 38, and he aired that on at least two occasions. Uh, one of his short story dramas in 1944, and also on the Sleep No More in 1957. Then down at the bottom, and I apologize if you can't read that as it's down in the orange, it's another Ray Bradbury story, The Night, uh, that Olmsted read. Uh, this was originally in Weird Tales in July 46, and it aired August 27th of 1947. And the last uh, slide here, I'm going to talk about The Man with Book and Pipe. And this was just one of many, many local local, basically, horror stories, horror uh, series that were on local stations. This one happened to be on WPAN in Philadelphia. It aired during the summer of 1945 on a Monday, Wednesday, Friday schedule. It was for 15 minutes. Uh, Henry Kuttner, whose picture is there on the right, uh, his story was selected by Francis Philander, who's the host, the man with book and pipe. 
The Graveyard Rats, uh, was published in Weird Tales in May, March of 36. And this one included a little organ that was by Joseph Ranzoso, who was the music director of WPEN. And I've got the audio link down there uh, for this. Uh, it's on the archive.org site. So, and, the audio, and that's a pretty good reading, too. They run about 14 minutes. Uh, and, and I thought that was a very interesting um, adaptation or reading of, of uh, Kuttner's story. There's probably many, many others out there. Maybe, maybe some of you know the, some of those. I may have missed a few. Um, but again, that's a general survey, and, and this is just the first uh, first time I'm, I've really looked into weird tales, uh, other than Stay Tuned for Tear, to, to see what actually has been out there. And there's a lot more out there, and I've learned a lot, and uh, would enjoy any questions. Thank you. Uh, when Olmsted did his readings, was he literally reading the story as written, or was it an adaptation or condensed? Anyway? It seems to me he was, well, they had... They, uh, the question is, uh, Olmsted, he, he, he basically, they would write a script so that everything was timed, you know, for radio. But it basically, it followed the story, you know, and he tried to do, you know, his best traumatic interpretation as a one-person, as a one-man one man show. Yeah. Have, you, have you ever heard any of his, um, yeah, there, there's, some, there's some online, if you, yeah. OT, OTRR.org, oldtimeradioresearch.org has, has several of these. No, Olmsted Olmsted readings. Next question. That uh, the great or the the boogeyman story was that made into an episode of Dark Room in 1981. Dark Room. There was a TV. There was an anthology TV show called Dark Room. Yeah. Dark Room. And it took place in 1981. But I think that story where he says at the end, I'm a werewolf, was made, I don't know if it was called the same thing, but it was almost word to word at the end. He says, you can see me in the mirror just because I eat at restaurants. No, I'm not a, I'm not a vampire. And then he turns into a werewolf. He says, stay away. And that's the end of the She like screams him, stay away from me. And yeah, I'm almost sure. I'll have to, I'll have to, thank you for bringing that up. I'll have to check, check on that. Well, wasn't uh, Stephen King the, the host of that one? No, there was some James older Jones. guy, like next in Dark James Room. James it was someone else. That's right, because they wanted Stephen King, and he said he wasn't. Who was it? They wanted Stephen King originally, but they got yeah. James Colbert. I th- oh, James Colbert. I think that only lasted like an episode or... No, it lasted about a half a season. Good lady in the back. I mean, I mean yeah, that's yeah. only one season or half a season. Yeah. Go ahead. Uh, we get a lot from the audio medium, radio. I love it. I, I love getting the, the, the records and hearing like your representation and uh, sharing it with us. I so appreciate it. Um, it is dark. It's dark. How can we yeah. take the existing pulse and still continue that? <coughs> what are your thoughts on like it was done once? How does it happen again? Oh well, there are many um, there are many groups that are recreating radio programs. They're all over the country. You know, I'm involved with the Metro Radio uh, Metro Washington Old Time Radio Club in D.C. Um, we do recreations. There are other groups uh, in Atlanta, um, in Texas, all over that that do recreations. Um, and I think a lot of the only thing we have to do would be to suggest that hey, why don't you try to do uh, you know some weird tale stories, and I'm, and I'm sure there. You know, if there's an interest, I'm sure that would you know they would be take take that into consideration. The gentleman, on the heels of that, um, would you be able to find? You know, you're outlining all these fantastic programs to listen to. Would 
is there an accessibility to the original radio scripts that you as a group or an organization can take and run with? Um, yeah, for some programs there are original scripts. The Molay Mystery, all the scripts exist. Um, the suspense scripts. I'm still trying to locate a lot of the Nelson Olmsted scripts and the scripts for this series as well. So some of them have been copyrighted. I'm doing a lot of work at the Copyright uh, Drama Deposit Collection Library of Congress. Many archives all over the country have scripts that nobody has really delved into. You know, radio is one of the it's the stepchild of media studies. You know, you have television, films, theater, and, and literature, and music, and radio. There's so much to do on radio. Lifetimes of work to, to try to track down all this information and material. But thanks for asking. I once heard a radio adaptation of The Outsider by Lovecraft that I really enjoyed, but I never uh, figured out what year it was or where it figures in or what program it was on. Do you know about yeah, I think that it was later. I covered it, and I should have mentioned it at the beginning. I was, I was only covering... Basically, radio's golden age, you know, 1930 to 1955 or 19 to the early 1960s and not to later. But yeah, I've, I've come across The Outsider. I think it was in the 80s or maybe even later than that. Just a quick comment. The Graveyard Rats uh, still has legs. It was just adapted last year as part of Guillermo del Toro's Cabinet of Curiosity series on Netflix. Right, okay. I don't see a whole lot of TV, so I appreciate you bringing that up. Thank you. Yeah, you're great. Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a great story about cutting her. Yeah. Anybody else? Ah. I'm just curious. Uh, are, are you familiar with the more modern sort of pseudo radio plays of the H.P. Lovecraft Historical Society? They have done audio plays of just about everything in the Lovecraft canon. I've, I've come across it. I haven't had the opportunity to, to delve into that in real detail, but I'm, I'm aware that they're doing that, so. It's, it's actually great stuff. Yeah, it is great stuff. And, and sort of related to that, Cadabra Records is uh, issuing Lovecraft readings, and it's um, Andrew Lehman from the H.P. Lovecraft Historical Society who, who does the, 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 the narration. Um, in most cases, they're reading the full text of Lovecraft stories and putting them on vinyl record. Really one thing I didn't mention, um, in one of uh, Steve Joshi's uh, books on, on Lovecraft, he mentioned in a brief note that Lovecraft had been approached while he was still alive to do either a, a radio adaptation or a radio series, and he declined. And I haven't been able to follow up that. I mean, that would have been great to have been a Lovecraft in the 1930s. I mean, that would have been fantastic. But yeah. Great, we're done. Thank you very much. You've been listening to a Pulp Event Podcast, brought to you by the PulpNet, your link to the online world of the Pulp Magazines for over 25 years. Learn more about the Pulp Magazines through articles, blogs, bibliographies, links, over 100 episodes of this podcast, and much more, at thepulp.net. Also, look for the PulpNet on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thank you for listening, and keep reading the pulps. This pulp event podcast is copyright 2023 by William P. Lampkin. All rights reserved.